Look, payday's awesome, but running payroll, calculating taxes and deductions, staying compliant, that's not easy. Unless, of course, you have Gusto. Gusto is a simple online payroll and benefits tool built for small businesses like yours. Gusto gets your team paid while automatically filing your payroll taxes. Plus, you can offer benefits like 401k, health insurance, and workers' comp, and it makes onboarding new employees a breeze. We love it so much, we really do use it ourselves, and we have four years, and I personally recommend you give it a try, no matter how small your business is. And to sweeten the deal, just for listening today, you also get three months free. Go to gusto.com slash boss. that's gusto.com slash boss. Hello, and welcome to Being Boss, a podcast for creative entrepreneurs. I'm Emily Thompson. And I'm Kathleen Shannon. Hi, I'm Tara Street, and I am Being Boss. All right, you guys, today we are speaking with my sister, Tara Street, who owns Braid Creative and Consulting with me. And we're going to be chatting about all sorts of things. And as always, you can find all the tools, books, and links we reference on the show notes at www.beingboss.club. Okay, you guys, I'm going to pause here for a second. We're talking to my sister, Tara, all about packaging and positioning your brand and your business vision. But one thing you might not know about my sister is that she loves managing the books at our company, Braid Creative. Now, we've been using FreshBooks since day one, and her favorite thing about FreshBooks Cloud Accounting is logging into the dashboard and instantly being able to see an overall picture of the health of our business. She also easily can pull profit and loss statements for our accountant during quarterly tax time or at the end of the year whenever it comes to doing our final income taxes. And it's just super duper easy and intuitive to keep track of expenses, invoice clients, collect payment. Now you can try FreshBooks for free by going to www.freshbooks.com slash beingboss and enter being boss in the how did you hear about us section. So we're both so excited to have you back on the show, Tara. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. I wish my big grin made noise. <laughs> I know. I feel I like know, every- I feel like Emily's in her happy place <laughs> with you on the show. You well, know why it is? It's, it's because you're like day. you're like Emily's big sister too. You're like the smarty pants branding expert <laughs> who will tell us what to do whenever we're always so busy telling everyone else what to do. <laughs> I get to boss. I get to boss the bosses, right? Between you and David, shit. David was saying something to me the other day, and I was like, I feel like I have a boss. Can you not? Suck like money. And you were kind of the same way, but like, it, I have a sense of security knowing there's like someone looking out for us. You know, it's there to go to whenever we have questions or whatever. And so, just to clarify for those of you who don't know about Tara or Braid Creative. We develop brand positioning, messaging, and design for creative entrepreneurs and now organizations, which we might chat about a little bit, seeking a brand platform that really fits their true, authentic vision. And we really focus a lot on methodically and logically getting there, but also blending your personal brand and who you are into the work that you do. And Tara's just kind of the smartest person I know. Snap. Now I'm jealous of you. No, but legit. Thank you. So 
<laughs> right? What are we talking about, guys? Okay, there's a lot of things that we're talking about today. <laughs> <laughs> well, first, before we get into talking about like what to do whenever your business vision is changing and what that means for your brand or some brand updates you can make right now or how positioning is the foundation of your brand, I want to know, like, what are you watching and reading lately? I feel like these are questions people usually ask at the end of an episode. We're starting there. But we're starting with what are you watching and reading these days? Okay. What I am watching these days. You know I don't read. <laughs> I'm the, well, I'm just, yeah, you've read, like, Game of Thrones twice. I know. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I was going to say, wait, what? I'm just kidding. I, oh, I knew you. am reading Amy Schumer's book. I'm a little behind, Ooh, I know. What do you think about it? I know. How far along are you? Uh, I feel like I'm almost to the end. Okay. Remember how I told you it's kind of feels a little disjointed? Like her voice wavers yeah, between, like, like, between badass Amy Schumer, like how we know her on her TV show, and then kind of like almost apologetic or compassionate in a how you, know dare. What I, you know what I felt when I was reading it? <laughs> First of all, because you told me that, I actually enjoyed it more than I thought I would. But I feel like maybe she had a lot of criticism weighing on her while she was writing that book. And so trying to, if she couldn't write the carefree, you know, care, you know, like the personal brand we know when she's on stage or on her show in her book, like she had to show kind of the other side of it that she's a person and and kind of what it feels like to have haters, probably. So it was fine. I'm, it was good. I'm not trying to be a hater for Amy Schumer. Love oh, <laughs> if you want to no. it. No, I feel I, like a hater. No, no, no. I did not mean to flip that on you. What I meant was I felt like it actually made me think of you, Kathleen, because I know you and Emily both have to put yourself out there in ways every day that are new and expanding. And, you know, it can be hard getting criticism that way. And it made me think of you guys, actually, when I was reading Amy Schumer. Especially nice. the part where she talked about poop all the time. Yeah, well, <laughs> you just replaced that with vagina and you got Kathleen in a bag. Uh, <laughs> more or less. But I also have to tell you what I'm watching. Wait, Emily, I have to tell you what I'm watching. I know. That's what I was going for because I know you always watch the best things. So my two favorite things I'm watching right now are both on HBO, of course. And it's they what? HBO shows HBO oh, both on HBO. Gotcha. It's not TV. It's HBO. And that is Westworld, which is like yeah. full on awesome, futuristic cowboy robot. Will these robots become self-aware? That is right up your alley. <laughs> Lots of nudity and violence and really cool musical scores like a honky-tonk piano playing like rolling stones and it's supposed to be like in a wild west scenario you know like my kind oh, of jam emily's newest dream is to have a piano player friend <gasps> to come to our christmas parties what <laughs> okay so if you're into pianos and or piano play automatic piano player saloon pianos you'll love westworld and robots Emily, that's what you need is just an automatic piano I can't, can't remember why you're making this joke. Why are you making Wait, these no, piano you said jokes? the other day, you were like, I have a vision of having a friend that's like at my parties playing oh, a that. piano. Yes, because here's also another truth is I actually hate piano music. Okay, do not watch Westworld. 
Right. Well, so I've, I've seen it. Right. I've seen an episode or two of it. David's been watching it. And sometimes I'll just like walk in and see it. Um, okay. What's the other thing you're watching on HBO? Insecure. With what's her yeah. name? Lisa. I'm sorry. I don't know her last name because she was a YouTuber. And I feel like her YouTube persona was like awkward black girl. Anyway, it's like 30 minute show. It's so cool. It's like her kind of navigating sort of like the corporate world and then also just like her social life. And it's sort of like girls, but like a completely different voice and perspective. And I love it. Like I thought that I would be like, oh, I'm going to watch Divorce with Sarah Jessica Parker, which I am, but really Insecure is my new favorite, like fix of that kind of show. Like watching a girl that you can really relate to, like making her way in the world. Insecure. Mm -hmm. Emily, I can't believe you're not watching it. You have to watch it. I know. I'm not watching. I'm sorry. I've been uh, watching The Crown. That's oh, I just started watching that last night. Right? So I've been working on that. I'm currently a one show at a time girl <laughs> because I can't split my You're monogamous attention. with your shows. I am. I am. I'm loyal to a fault. But good. I'm really into This Is Us, which is really embarrassing. Mandy Moore... Oh, I heard about this. I, that I is like a little funny for you. I know. You know what? I think I just have to keep it light. Yeah. Like I've got a lot of I'm I'm just I have to pause on the business books. Yeah. And same. even anything that makes me cry. I just want to watch something easy. Um, this is us makes me like ball, like snotty Kleenex, <laughs> ugly cry every single episode. So it's cathartic. it's cathartic. And then I watched that movie, How to Be Single, which, what? yeah, oh. so this is my insomnia movie. Yeah, that's a good insomnia and movie. And it's, it was giving me life, which, good. and so I texted Tara and I was telling her, have you seen this? And I was only 45 minutes in at that point. And she was like, uh-huh. And then said nothing else. And then later was like, that movie sucks. Well, what? <laughs> One, I, I didn't want to hurt your feelings over text. I didn't. Well, one, I was in my car, so I couldn't text you the nuances of like why it was a cute, fun romantic comedy, but it, it hit all the notes of romantic comedy supposed to, like the formula, but it just somehow didn't quite work right. I could not get that across on driving. That's <laughs> okay. You know what? All I need, the only qualification I need right now for a romantic comedy is that it opens. With like a Cityscape. sweeping view of New York City. Or the Golden Gate Bridge. Or San Francisco. Yeah. And I'm good. Yeah. Sweeping view. Cool song. Montage of people walking on the street. Our main girl in a cute outfit. Maybe spilling coffee on herself. <laughs> office worker friend. Office worker friend who's funny and sassy. Yeah. Which is, what's her name? Rebel Wilson? Uh -huh. Is that the same girl as F F Fat Amy? Yes, she's Fat yes. Amy. And that was one of your original dinner party guests, Emily, in your brand of business vision with Braid Creative. <laughs> oh, my God. That was Bringing it all ago. back around. Right. Bringing See it back around. See what I did That's there. Correct. Girl, I love some Fat Amy. That shit was hysterical to me. <laughs> Still probably one of my favorite characters ever. Wait, she what's that from? What is book? she from? Pitch I mean, Perfect. Oh, Pitch Perfect. I haven't seen Does it. Does she have a book? That's what I was just about to say, Emily. I was like, if she has a book, Queen's Rebel, that's the book I want to read. I think she's right? fascinating. Okay. I love her. She made me want to get lip injections. 
<laughs> I feel like this conversation is go just going downhill at this point. Also, Fat Amy does not have a book. Oh, did Sorry. you just Google that just now? I did. I did. She's Good job. You're so resourceful. Right. All right. So speaking of that, what should a creative entrepreneur do when their business vision changes? <laughs> that was such an elegant segue. From fat right, that Amy. was the f- best transition I've ever heard. <laughs> I was trying to think of a metaphor for like, well, if, if Fat Amy decided to transition her business vision. And I was like, no, I couldn't figure out how to go there. So <laughs> the reason this keeps coming up from us a lot with braids is people who aren't just starting out with their new business and learning how to be boss, but people who are maybe two years in or five years in or 10 years in who are deciding to shift to something new or try out something new. They're just like, uh, I wish I could get excited about my brand. And this is people who are hiring us and paying us and investing in their branding, their time and their money. And they're still like, oh, I'm so excited to work with you, but I'm just, I just can't get excited about my brand because it's almost like they know too much. Like it's exhausting in some ways. Rehashing all of that, um, when you're transitioning to a new model or a new product versus just starting out fresh and rosy faced and excited about your new business. And I wonder yeah, if you guys that's such can a good like, point. I feel like, I feel like whenever people are brand new to launching their brand new business, the logo and the website and what we know of as the branding is what really makes it real. And so it's really exciting. But then, yeah, a couple of years in, you're like, oh, whenever we had to rebrand being boss from the original thing that we threw together in two hours to taking it through the braid method and the braid process. I mean, we had to like really gear up for that. And you're like, I just want to be do, I just want to do it. I don't want to have to redo my brand to do it. You know, you just want to do the work. You just want to keep going and see what's working and try it out and experiment. And you don't have to want to worry about if your brand is matching or not matching or even saying the right thing. And so I specifically think of like my website when I think of that. That's the first thing I think people think of when they think of their brand, you know. So what might prompt a refresh or um, a rebrand is whenever your business vision changes. So in what ways are you seeing creative entrepreneurs wanting to pivot their business vision? Or is it like they're wanting to narrow in or are they wanting to actually change directions? Are they wanting to go from doing to teaching? What does it look like? And why do they feel the need to change their brand? And is that really even necessary? Yes. All of the above. <laughs> I mean, I think typically when people are transitioning, sometimes it's narrowing in because you don't like necessarily being a generalist or an order taker or like we said, Jane of all trades doing everything for everyone. Um, so many of us are trained to... Either it's instinctually, you know, it's kind of innately trained in us or programmed in us, or we actually learn this in the professional world, like to every client should be custom and everything you do for everyone, especially when you're a creative, but I, I bet it applies to lots of areas, should feel like it's tailor-made for that client, you know? And so you kind of get in an a la carte, choose your adventure or situation with your clients or a menu of services that you can provide for them. And so people who've been doing this for about two or three years on their own 
are like enough. I'm ready to be known for a specific package. So even if it's a one-on-one service, I want to be known for a specific specialty, right? And that would to me be a transition, you know, a, a kind of a bit of a pivot. Like how can I package up this one thing that I'm known for versus all the things that I've said that I can do? I think also sometimes whenever we see creatives pivoting or changing or kind of ready for a brand refresh is whenever maybe they're packaging up a one-on-one client service and turning it into a digital product. It's just a good time to really revisit what you're known for, your positioning, and making sure that the look and feel is aligned um, I also see it happening whenever you're attracting the wrong kind of client. Whenever you do offer all those a la carte services, it often leads to kind of those typical client from hell relationships. And so if you're wanting to attract more of your dream client, that's also another time to revisit your positioning and your branding. Absolutely. Um, but when I see it, you know, a lot of times to a lot of people, even those examples that we just gave, which were like, narrowing in on a specialty or packaging up my services in a more intentional way. Um, for most people, that's still exciting because it feels like, okay, I have a point of view. I've really done the work and I feel like I have a really specific expertise and I've had enough time actually kind of dabbling in this. I feel like ready and confident to just rein it in and finally have the brand that ties it all up in a bow. But where I see, and so there's still some exhilaration there. I think where I see people getting a little exhausted is where they feel like maybe they're changing uh, more drastically their business vision. Like, and it's so funny because they think they're changing it drastically, but so often I'm the one that's always saying, I don't think this is as different as you think it is. Like they think, oh, I've been a leadership consultant for organizations for 10 years, but now I think I want to just do one-on-one coaching for executives. I mean, don't you guys think that sounds really similar? Yeah, it's like the same thing. <laughs> I mean, it's not the same thing, but it's, it's it's like one word change. But I think what my point being, or like if you're a web developer who's also been doing the design, like web design and branding and identity, and it's kind of all been rolled up in one boat, in one package for so long, and you're like, you know, I think I just want to be like a a digital branding consultant, and I don't want to do the web anymore. Or, you know, that's just an example I'm kind of throwing out there. Emily's probably like, that title doesn't even exist, Tara. But, you know, something, some, some kind of thing that they've been doing that's been a tool in their belt that they're, or a certain type of client that they're ready to bring that to the forefront and stop doing the other things. Sometimes it can feel a little bit like, oh, I'm going to have to change everything. Or what will everyone think? Or it just feels like starting over. And I'm like, whoa, slow down. You don't have to throw everything out that you've done. Let's just put a spin on this. And it, and it really comes down to your positioning. How are you articulating what you do for who, for whom, and what do you want to be known for? And how are you talking about it in your conversations? Even before you even think about changing your brand. So your brand is more than your logo. Like that's just like the cherry, like we say on the icing on top of the cake. We always say that, but it's like, who puts a cherry on top of icing on top of a cake it's like a sunday meta like an ice cream sunday metaphor and a cake metaphor but whatever i'm the one that like made up that original metaphor which would make sense because i'm always mixing my metaphors i know know. like don't look a gift horse in the mouth while you're drawing it to water (laughs) 
<laughs> okay, but let's talk we about call this that transition. Layered. Let's talk about this transition a little bit because I feel like transitioning your business is often harder than just starting from scratch. Yes. You know, I mean, sometimes even as we're all making shifts in our businesses from indie shopography to being boss to braid creative, sometimes it's like, okay, how can we just clear the slate? But there is no slate to be clear. We have so much expertise and experience that would be so silly to not bring to the table. Sometimes it's easy to overlook it. Sometimes it's easy to say, okay, if we did clear the slate, what would that look like? And working up from there just to come to the conclusion that it's not as hard as we're making it out to be. I know. I mean, we we laugh and say, oh, ha, 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 silly client. An executive coach and a leadership development consultant aren't that different. Let's just work on your positioning. It'll be fun, right? But when we talk about our own brands, Braid, Being Boss, Indie Shopography, all these brands that we're in, it's hard to see your own label, your own struggle when you're inside the bottle, right? So I think that just like you said, sometimes it helps um, us, it helps our clients, it, help you, it helps you guys out there if you do go to the extreme and think in your mind, at least for like a month or two while you're kind of mulling over how your brand vision is changing, what does that extreme look like? Like if I was to stop doing one-on-one client service altogether, what would that look like? Or if I were to only work with this type of client, what would that look like? Or if I were to completely change my title of what I am, and completely redo my website content. What would that look like? And then, like you said, then it's kind of easier to come back off the ledge and be like, wait a minute. Maybe that's not necessary after all. It's, it's usually a hybrid or a mix or a pivot, like we said, and it's not a complete change. Okay. So I have a question for both of you. What is the difference between pivoting positioning and pivoting your business model? I mean, I think the business model is your idea for how you're going to make money. What is the service and or product you're providing, right? All the, uh, how it works. How is this going to work? How am I going to keep making money working for myself? Uh, what is my offering? How do people buy it? How do I deliver it? Does this make sense? Right. And the positioning is, once you figure that out, what's that one sentence that describes to someone that's meeting you for the first time what you do? Yeah, I always think of positioning as the thing that doesn't change no matter what you're selling or how you're selling it. Yes, that's what I that, – good job, Kathleen. <laughs> I <laughs> That's win. what I was thinking. But okay, and how many people – or how often is it that people think they're changing positioning when what they're really changing is their business model? Like how often is that happening where someone's like, I need to rebrand because I'm changing what I'm selling when really their positioning hasn't changed at all. They've ju- they're just changing what they're offering, but their mission and their positioning stays the exact same. Yeah, very often. And I think that your positioning, if it is going to change to match your pivot, it's honestly just a word or two in, in, in this, in a series of 30 words. And it was only my sentences are 30 words long. I love those run-ons, but you know what I'm saying? Like it's only like <laughs> usually one, like, like Kathleen was just introducing braid and what we do. And for the past five years, our positioning has been, we do visioning 
or business, you know, business visioning and branding for creative entrepreneurs. And just recently we've been pivoting a little to include organizations in that because we feel like we've learned a lot about creative entrepreneurs that people in teams can really benefit for specifically in-house marketing teams. And even some of you guys listening out there are creatives and you're entrepreneurial, but you're still working within a team, right? And so our positioning is just a matter of not just throwing it all away, but just adding a word where we say, you know, for creative entrepreneurs and purposeful businesses or purposeful teams, you know, it's just kind of a little bit of a spin. That's what I mean when I say that. Um, even just recently, Emily, we've been talking with you a lot, you know, about our Braid e-course where we're teaching people how to brand themselves, basically. And, you know, we all work on that a lot together. And we were talking about how um, I take it for granted that people know that branding is more than a logo. But when we talk about our e-course, when we talk about our own product, um, I have to remember that positioning is a big deal to people and articulating themselves. And so even adding that word into our positioning statement, it's not meta. Adding the word positioning into our own positioning statement is part of us being sure that we're adjusting that and tweaking it to expand with our business vision and our business model. So I do think, yes, the positioning doesn't change for the most part. But the fringes of it, the, you know, little bits of it can change. And I would just say, when I say do that before you ever go in and redo your whole brand, um, it's more important than going in and redoing every page on your website and, and all your imagery and all your styling and all your stuff. Emily and I in the clubhouse and in being boss and all of our content talk a lot about intention and purpose and your why behind what you're doing. And I do feel like positioning is kind of like the, the next step as far as taking your personal why and your purpose and vision out into the world in a way that is hireable and workable. And so for me, even thinking about my own personal brand and my own personal positioning and purpose, that hasn't even changed going from focusing on one-on-one client work to the one-to-many work that we do at Braid, like the e-course and the blogging, even to being boss. It's still exactly the same, which is blending who you are into the work that you do. And for Emily, it's been the same as well. It's been rocking out your online business so that you can live what you love. It's the same positioning for us personally that we took from our individual businesses into this new vision that could have felt like a pivot going from blogging and one-on-one services to starting a podcast. But really, in so many ways, that purpose and that positioning has stayed the same. Now there's just an overlap or it's... It's created a kind of new thing because We've of that We've made overlap. a baby with it. We made That's what whenever, it is. We made a baby. Whenever two positioning statements love each other Aww. very much. <laughs> right? So I just pulled open um, the brand story that you guys did for me like five, six years ago or something crazy. Maybe even longer. I don't actually. Let me see when this file. Tw- 2012. That was four years Ooh. ago. Four and a half years ago. Um, and reading through it again, this is still exactly what indie shopography does. And you're totally right in that a couple of the words need to be shifted. Like, I'm not so much into online shop solutions. Like, that's not 
I'm not building websites anymore, um, but I am still helping creatives build online businesses with the tools, the steps, and the guide to get you to get you there. And I think that like I think that a really strong positioning statement, whenever it's adequately like pulled from your depths, will not change. Like even as my business model has shifted time and time again, I went from doing, you know, one-off websites um, to doing um, Indie Boom, which was like coaching and web design, these super intensive projects that I was working on to stop doing one-on-one work altogether to create e-courses and toolkits um, and to even like bringing this into being boss. It has stayed the exact same. And for the design of my brand, it also stayed for a really long time. Just in the past, what, three months, I've started the transition of graphics for indie shopography. I think that's a really powerful thing to sort out. I think that so often people will go with these like short term like branding solutions where they're like, I just need a logo or I'll just get this cheap thing here or I'll like go pull some stock photos and call it a day or whatever it is. But I can't like the longer I live in this brand, the more I have to speak to how important it is to really have someone dig in in this way because I can still go back to this document and absolutely see myself and what indie shopography is in it. And sure, the packaging changes a little bit. What I offer has absolutely shifted, but my positioning is the exact same with the tweak, except for the tweak of a couple of small words. It's all still there. And what's cool about having solid positioning is that you can try on different trends as, I mean, Emily, you and I love trends. We love being able to do like fun <laughs> promotional campaigns, of the right? Yeah. Yes. And, but, but even beyond the trends and trying those on, I think that having that solid positioning as the foundation of your brand can alleviate so much of that anxiety whenever it comes to placing too much importance on the logo and the fonts and the colors. Because if your positioning is solid – like we said, the rest is the cherry on the icing on the cake. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about if someone can't maybe afford braid or the braid e-course, how can they really get into their own positioning and understanding what that means for their brand? And how can they do something right now okay. to update their positioning or to get into their positioning? Yeah, because yeah, I have some things that, you know, I was just talking about the other day that people can do um, on their brand right now. And they are all more positioning related than like design related. You know, it's funny because the, the two biggest pleas for help that we get from people wanting to work on their brand with us are, oh my gosh, my brand just doesn't feel like me. It doesn't feel authentic. The style doesn't feel like me. And a lot of that has to do with design, but more of it has to do with the voice, you know, the style of voice that's coming across. And then the other thing they always say is, I just need help being clear. I'm not being articulate. No one understands what I'm talking about. I don't know if I'm talking about the right thing. And so again, it's coming down to being more articulate and then also feeling more like yourself. Like that's the magic formula, I think. You know, we say blending who you are and what you do. That's just like saying, feeling more like myself, my brand and feeling like I'm being clear when I it to somebody else. 
Um, and so and some- speaking really quick of being clear, sorry, no. just really quick, I want to define what positioning means because I realize we're saying that word a lot and we really need to make it clear. What is positioning? How would you define that? Well, I just pulled up actually our definition of it and we've probably Googled it already, but like I <laughs> just pulled up our worksheet from our e-course um, workbook and it said, your positioning statement is how you concisely say what you do and for whom. So you sound confidently self-employed rather than unemployed, right? Um, you can use this positioning statement on your website. Usually it's just a couple sentences in your social media. Sometimes it's short enough just to be a profile, you know, explanation. Uh, in face-to-face conversations, especially if you're getting tongue-tied, if someone asks you, like, introduce yourself and what you do. Um, we said you could even use it to explain to your grandma what you do for a living, um, and I even have a formula here where it's like a fill in the blank. So I'm a blank. So that could, or I'm your name here. And I'm a, and a lot of times we ask people to fill in your easiest to understand title. So I'm a life coach. I'm a web designer. I'm, um, a carpenter. You know, whatever that easiest to understand title is should be up front in your positioning statement. But then you can also kind of say that I help dream clients who, so kind of identifying who your dream client is. I help women. I help entrepreneurs. I help organizations. I help leaders. I help people who love handmade artisanal goods. You know, you kind of get that sense of who your dream client is. Um, and then I always love ending it on sort of a word or an element that describes your expertise. So whether that's rock your business online, you know, or own your own creative expertise or break rules being yourself or whatever that thing is that kind of gives it flavor, but it also kind of wraps up your expertise in it too. That's what I think are the really great ingredients of a positioning statement. Who you are, your simplest to understand title, who you're for, and then sort of that last little bit of that personality fueled purpose and expertise. That's the hardest to get to. I feel like it's so easy to underestimate how important it is to really outline your positioning statement on paper and to say it to yourself 12 times (laughs) out loud, commit it to muscle memory so that the next time you're at designer vacay or a being boss vacation or at a conference, you can just say what it is that you do and for whom, and you can be able to express it in an instant in any situation. So important. I have had my positioning statement because you know it like the back of your hand, you know it, your heart and mind and soul, you can just forget it and adapted to any situation, right? And I've had it help me in so many otherwise awkward situations and or missed opportunities. I have had situations where I've sat down next to someone at a coffee shop because we were all about to have a meeting with a new client and we didn't know that this new client invited two of his investor buddies along for the ride. And I'm sitting next to some guy while everyone else is getting coffee who I don't even know who turns to me and says, so what's your story? And I'm like, well, I'm here with Kathleen today and we're working on your branding for your friends here, but our specialty is creative entrepreneurs and we work with them from all over the country and we help them articulate their brand and it's kind of what we're all about, right? Like without batting an eye. And that's not natural for me. Usually I'm a little more, I don't know, flaky sometimes. I mean, I feel like I'm pretty (laughs) clear, but sometimes I get flustered like right in the moment. And that gentleman ended up being the biggest investor in that project. I didn't know. No one introduced him to me properly. Dudes. Those guys. 
Like, right, you know, um, I didn't know he was yeah. going to be there. But I just said my positioning statement, but I said it fun and with personality. And then we started having a chat. That investor guy ended up being our next two big projects that we got at Braid after that. Because he loved going through our methods so much for this thing he just got invited to that we ended up working with him even more. Like, I, that would have been, as Kathleen says, or maybe Terry Gentile said, dollars left on the table. If I hadn't been just so clear and confident with positioning, right? I could have really messed up that first impression, right? And then in other ways, it's really helped me. I've noticed is when I used to be a creative director at an advertising agency, I was a little more insular. Like I was sort of just in my little creative corner working on my creative. I didn't really like what I say, um, hugs or high fives. Like I felt like in the agency world, people... Hustles, hugs, and high fives. Hustling, hugs, and high fives. So people... Hey, coming up and giving me a high five, like from the sales team. Or when we met new clients, everyone have to handshake and kind of hustle. That felt so strange to me as a creative. Like a lot of creatives don't feel comfortable with that. We're kind of like, don't, I need my personal space. Like I, they're not very good at networking or schmoozing or feeling salesy. And I had to go to a conference last week. So you guys went to Designer Vic. Hey, I was going to another networking conference of marketing professionals and I had to go to the cocktail mixer you know, the night before the conference. And usually I walked in a room like that. I remember being a creative director in my early thirties, let's say, or late twenties, walking into a room like that. And a lot of these people are by themselves, like their organizations had sent them to this conference, right? So a lot of them are from different places all by themselves. And just so many people awkward in the corners, you know, not really talking to each other and me walking in and just being able to go, like, talk, going up to talk to anybody. And yeah, I was, who's the hustler and high fiver it's now? It's me. Who is the hustler and high fiver now? I tell you what. And the thing is, I could just go to a table full of fun girls and sit down and they're talking about, Kathleen, you would love this, um, makeup artist videos or they're talking, yeah, talk about full circle personal branding <laughs> or they're talking about what they're watching on HBO. And guess what? We're all watching Insecure. And I feel totally confident talking about personality-fueled things and fun things and being fun because I know when they ask me about my positioning or what I do or why I'm at the conference, I'm not going to sound like a robot and I'm not going to be flustered either. I'm going to sound like I know my stuff and I can tell them exactly what I do and why I'm at that conference. But guess what? We can have fun in between. It almost like allows me to have more fun in networking situations because I'm so confident in my positioning in the back of my head. Okay, yeah. I Well, I have a question about that a little bit because you worked as a creative director at an advertising agency for almost 15 years before you started Braid Creative. You were a very high-powered executive (laughs) position. It wasn't like you're just making it up. Like we're all CEOs now because we get a – we designate our own job title, right? (laughs) Because we filed for an LLC. (laughs) All right. All right. All right. But here's the deal – So you were 15 years at this ad agency. You had a lot of clout within the industry, but you didn't really like networking or hustling um, or high-fiving. Right. Now you've been at Braid Creative for five years. I would say that you're still an introvert, like in both cases, but now you are more – well, not warm, but you're more (laughs) willing to go out there and just – Hang like you you do seem like you've cultivated a lot of confidence, even just in that almost extroverted type way. So I'm curious, do you think that there's anything beyond just being confident in your own positioning 
that has helped you kind of own that or be more confident? How do you think that that's come about? That's is a really good owning question. Owning your own business. I mean, I do think it's owning your own business. It just kind of gives you a confidence. It also gives you a lot of fear and fraudy feelings, like you guys talk about a lot. But it does give you a lot of confidence. I think for me, what really fuels my confidence, and this is interesting, and some people out there may feel like this too. For me, I get a lot of a more anxiety around sharing one to many. Like even today on this podcast, like you know, we're sharing with many people. And what I really love and what really fuels me is working one-on-one, whether it's one-on-one with a single person or one-on-one with an entire organization. There's a boardroom. I don't care if it's a boardroom in front of me because I am tackling their one-on-one problem. And I know no matter what, they're going to be heard. And I know no matter what, the next time we meet, I'm going to blow their socks off because I've just done it again and again and again and again and again. So just the repetitiveness of delivering the braid method. And you guys know, I really am into process. Like I know my process as much as I know my positioning backwards and forwards. I know exactly what steps I want to take to get you where we need to go because that's my expertise is taking you through a creative process and not winging it or making it from scratch every time. So that really gives me a ton of confidence going into any sort of one-on-one situation. I still struggle. Like if I haven't written a blog post in a long time, or we're going to do a Facebook live video and it's been a couple of weeks, I get anxiety about, I just kind of not anxiety, but just a little bit butterflies about it. Just like lots of people do. And, but what, what's really going on behind the scenes for me is I'm wondering, am I sharing anything of value? When I'm working one-on-one with someone, I know for certain, I never get client anxiety because I know I'm sharing something of value. It's with the one-to-many where I kind of uh, falter. So that's why I surprise myself if I'm in a networking situation and I do feel that confidence. And often it is because um, of my positioning. Okay. So I want to quick fire just a few really actionable to-dos that somebody could do to update their brand right now in a way that will position them more confidently. Yes. Okay. So one... I think the first thing I would do is go in and look at your about me page on your website because that's a really good place. It's a place people go to a lot more than you might think. Sometimes it's the first page they'll click to on your site. Go to your about me page and see if you can rewrite it like a letter to your dream client. Do this before you even look at your positioning. Like of all this talk about positioning has kind of wigged you out. Like, oh my gosh, I don't know what positioning is. It's sort of like not knowing how to title your essay until after you've written your essay, like when you're in school or, um, you know, it's just harder to have that concise statement and it's kind of easier to write it like a letter to your dream client. You can talk a little bit more about your own journey, a little bit. You can talk a little bit about why you do what you do, their purpose and what's fueling you. Um, but I really love this letter sounding like you're sort of really talking to that dream client and that you see them, you hear them you know, their pains or, you know, what their hopes. And, uh, it can really make it sound like a more personal about me page underneath that. You can still put a bio or credentials if you want to. Um, but that's usually what I do for our clients. It's the first thing I do. I write their about me page. I'll call it their brand story. Usually it's your brand story. Sometimes it's easier to write your positioning statement after you've kind of gotten that all out in the page. The next thing I would do is go to your list of services and ditch the menu approach. Uh, try leading with your ideal offering. If you had to look at all your list of services that you're trying to provide, 
Which ones did you cut? Which ones did you keep? And can you package up what you do in one offering? That means one price point or a tiered price point that people can pay you. So this ideal service or deliverable that you really want to be known for. Um, and that's really kind of overlapping, obviously, into business model. But it's just that's kind of the gray overlap between business model and branding. Okay, really quick, because Emily and I were just talking with someone earlier today who is trying to just have one ideal offering. She's actually in the clubhouse and in the Braid e-course. So she's hearing a lot of this and it kind of wigged her out a little bit. So (laughs) what would you tell to someone who is really feeling stressed out about narrowing down to just one thing and feeling like, for example, collaterals pay all of her bills, but she really wants to be known for this UI UX package. And if she could just offer one thing, that would be it. Okay, I love thinking about your messaging visually, and I call it chunking it out. So I love the idea of going to your sales page and you lead with the UI, UI, UX, UI. Yeah. I'm so like, whatever. (laughs) You lead with your main offering, right? Like think of it like the big one. But then right underneath, you've got three big chunky columns and they say collaterals and they say identity and they say, so it's still kind of chunked out, but you're having a hierarchy of design. Or the thing you really want to get hired for is the top. And you they're not interested in it. It's just to position you as an expert with a specialty. And then underneath it's like, oh, but I can still do this with her. Oh, oh, I can still hire her for this. Or guess what? I can hire her for the whole thing. And sometimes I'll even call it also's or others. So even below those chunks or those mini columns, you might have another one that says, and by the way, if you're still wondering if I offer website overhauls or if you're wondering if I offer speaking, I do. Just ask me about it. The thing that we've realized as far, as much as we've narrowed in, in our own professions, I don't know if Emily has experienced this. People still try to ask you, people don't stop asking you or asking to hire you for something that you've stopped selling. They still want to well, hire you for it. never sold. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, if you look at you like you've got your act together and your positioning is somewhere in the realm of what they think they want to buy, they're going to try to find a way to hire you for it. You guys, I literally had someone this week trying to hire me for wedding invitations. Yeah. I was like, I don't do that. I'll sell you my InDesign file for (laughs) $1,000. I have not heard back. Okay. I just want to say, narrowing in on your package is not the thing that is going to stop the money coming to the door. It's just not. It's, you're still, that is something, you know, we all have ebbs and flows in our business for tons of different organic reasons or, things that we're not sharing. Maybe we're not sharing enough content. Maybe we're not putting ourselves out there. Maybe we're not being clear enough. But I really don't usually see people feeling like the well is drying up because all of a sudden they they packaged up their offering more holistically as one big package. I experienced this exact same thing whenever I decided to stop doing my one-off website projects and just do indie booms where like, total moment of anxiety around getting really narrow about having a single package that was my ideal engagement that I would only work with new clients doing. And I made way much more money, which is not even how you say that, but how I felt about it for sure. Yeah. Where like I gave myself so much more room to make more money because it was processed out perfectly so that I was wasting less time and I was doing more impactful work and I was getting results for my client. It was 
anxiety inducing. Absolutely. But it was a commitment that absolutely changed my business. And everyone that I know that have done this exact same process where you get in it, you figure out what your positioning is. And you do that by taking on whatever you can take on. You decide what it is that you like to do, what it is that you don't like to do. You stop doing the things that you don't want to do and focus on the things you do want to do. And you make good money doing it. I think that, um, I think that hopefully that little preach session will get <laughs> anyone who's feeling anxious about narrowing in, um, in the mood to do it. Because I think that there, I remember there being, maybe a month where like I was transitioning my messaging and I was figuring out how I needed to reposition myself in terms of how I was going to sell this thing where um where I wasn't booking as much as I thought I would but as soon as it caught on as soon as I realized the words I needed to say to adequately explain to people what it is what it is that I was doing it caught on and you sell package after package after package. And I will say, even if you're narrowing in on your positioning, you can still take on the work that pays the bills. But another brand trick is to only show the work that you want to be known for. No one has to know what you're really doing behind the scenes. I mean, that sounds kind of like shady, but you know, what your brand shows people on the outside is a little bit how it really is. It should be. But it's also a little bit aspirational or a little bit about the direction you want your brand to go. So like on the surface, it may look like you're doing this one package 100% of the time or 75% of the time. That really feels like your true positioning, and your true calling. But behind the scenes, you're still doing 50-50 of the work you used to do and 50% of this new work you want to do. And your goal is to eventually aim to the point where most of your work is matching the brand that you're putting out there. Because hopefully the brand you're putting out there is the person and the brand you want to be seen as and known for. And I will also say, Emily, when you're talking about that story about finally like taking all your services and packaging them up in this bigger, more intentional package, I feel like even if you do that and then you decide to change it or didn't quite work out the way you wanted it to, there's kind of some sort of like brave bravado type, just the action of doing that it's hard to go back from that mentality. Once you do, have done it once, you're going to be looking for the next way to package yourself, even if that way didn't work. It's hard to go back to being the Jane of all trades. Emily's addicted to it. Well, I was about to say, I wasn't going to say I was addicted <laughs> to it, but what it did show me, like what I was offering was like industry standard packaging and prices pricing for how you design, develop, and deliver website projects. Whenever I decided to break that mold, when I said, like, fuck the standards, like, I want to do these projects this way. I want to get paid like this on this schedule. I want to deliver it the way I want to deliver it. And it worked. It made me realize that, like, I can... Anyone can make money doing anything they want to do as long as they have the intention and results to back it up. And it it totally freed me from the mindset of I have to follow someone else's model and put me in a place where I had proved to myself that you can create a model that looks like whatever you want it to look like. 
I think there's also a lot of responsibility that comes with packaging your offering to actually working the process. So once you package your offering, I think it's going to show any holes that exist in your process from how you attract clients to how you close the deal to how you work with them to how you wrap up the project, rinse and repeat. I also think that packaging your offering will also help you find ways to take services and turn them into products and passive income and digital products. So we did that with the Braid Method. We turned it into the Braid Method e-course. It's like our textbook version of how we work with clients one-on-one. Emily, you've taken indie shopography and decided to quit working with clients altogether, but you were still able to package up that offering and turn it into helping other web developers package and deliver and sell their websites in a new way that gets paid really well like you did. And now you're talking about packaging the packaging. (laughs) (laughs) It just keeps going. Right? Because you can build your model however you want to. Exactly. Like once I packaged my process into a package. It was less about figuring out how to deliver the next website because it was, it was totally different from anything else I was I was doing. And it was more about perfecting the process so that it was more intentional and more results giving and more um more impactful for both myself and for the client. And by the end of it, the process that I had for delivering websites was ridiculously amazing. Like I could <laughs> hand off any portion of it to anyone else with a very clear like step-by-step process of here's how you onboard a client, here's what the sales process looks like, here's how you launch and deliver a project or a website to a client. And just the fact that you're able to get that awesome (laughs) with your process. Like it makes your client experiences or your experience with your clients and your client's experience with you so much better. And it does really make you the master of your process, which is so powerful. Um, So yeah, then I did package it up and sell it and you guys turned it into the braid e-course and I can't even, I feel like, can we get more meta with it? Like, Let's make a process about processing your process. Well, one thing that I really learned from (laughs) packaging and positioning the process, (laughs) we need to title this episode The Three Ps. Um, I was able to translate that, what we've done, the work that we've done with packaging other creatives um, and helping them define their process. I was able to use that in life coaching. Yeah, Kathleen, you, when you were doing more life coaching, so many life coaches have gotten this training and they're really driven to do this and it's their natural calling, but they don't really have steps that they can outline for their clients. And just having steps or some loosey-goosey semblance. I'm sorry, life coaches. I'm not saying you're loosey-goosey, but you may not like a super rigid process, but there still needs to be an expectation of steps that we're going to kind of hit along the way. And I think that just makes everyone feel better about the engagement, makes you feel like an expert. You know, I would say our takeaway today on these three Ps is like, if you get in the room with Tara, Kathleen, and Emily, and you think you're going to talk about branding and your logo, you're really going to be talking about your packaging, your process, and your positioning, right? And then the logo is so true. Yeah, logo is just... I mean, but I can design a beautiful logo. Am I right? Amen. Amen. I was telling someone the other day, I was like, if you can ever get Kathleen to just do it. 
I know. So I Which recently redid to. I redid Emily's logo mm-hmm. under the table a little bit. And um I was like, don't tell anyone I designed your logo. Except for like all of the internet. Tell right. the internet. And, and then later brave I came creative. back and I was like, Can I tell people that you did I was this? Like, yeah. It's beautiful. <laughs> Absolutely beautiful. Indieshopography.com. Go check out Kathleen's latest and greatest, if I might say. Um, and then hire Braid Creative. And then hire Braid Creative to both brand you and position you like a boss. Because four and a half years later, mine is still amazingly relevant. No, but for real, even if you can't hire us, it's fine. We have a lot of stuff for you. So Tara, where can people find Braid? Well, go to braidcreative.com and check out our e-course. That definitely is all the places where we have put all the steps of our process 40 worksheets, seven, I think seven lessons. We talk about your dream client. We talk about defining your creative expertise. We talk about, um, sharing content, selling yourself. And then my favorite lesson is where I include a lot of scripts that basically break out the formula for writing your brand positioning, your about me, how to hire me, my process so that you can work with a designer then. To help you with beautiful design and logo, and you've got the content coming out of the e-course to plug into all your brand places. We also have audio files now with our e-course. So if you love listening to our voices, you can hear more of it. Um, we have a Facebook group and we do quarterly masterclasses. All right. Thank you so much, Tara, for joining us. Thanks, guys. Yeah, it was fun. This was fun. Hey bosses, I wanted to let you know that we are hanging out live on February 1st at 12 p.m. Central Time, so that's 1 Eastern, 10 Pacific, to continue the conversation from today's episode, and we would love to see you there. Register to join us for the podcast chat at beingboss.club slash positioning. Again, that's beingboss.club slash positioning. And if you're on our newsletter, we will send you an email to remind you as well. So you guys, I'm not the most tech savvy person when it comes to integrating and automating my life with software. So I was a late adopter to Acuity scheduling, but once I set it up, I was so grateful and I cannot imagine my life without it. I use Acuity scheduling to schedule client meetings, special projects, podcast recordings, interviews, and even coffee dates with my friends. It helps me keep my calendar sane. The best part is it integrates with my Google Calendar. So anytime I update my Google Calendar, that time is automatically blocked off in Acuity. There are no double bookings or meetings scheduled for when I'm on vacation or scheduled something else already. All right, try it yourself. Sign up for a free 60-day trial of Scheduling Sanity at acuityscheduling.com slash beingboss. Thank you for listening to Being Boss. Find articles, show notes, and downloads at www.beingboss.club. If you're a creative entrepreneur, freelancer, or a small business owner who is ready to take your goals to the next level, check out the Being Boss Clubhouse, a two-day online retreat followed by a year of community support, monthly masterclasses, book club, secret episodes, and optional in-person retreats. Find more at www.beingboss.club slash clubhouse. Thank you so much to our team and sponsors who make Being Boss possible. Our sound engineer and web developer, Corey Winter. Our editorial director and content manager, Caitlin Brame. Our community manager and social media director, Sharon Lukey. And our Bean counter, David Austin, with support from Braid Creative and Indie Shopography. Do the work. 
Be boss, and we'll see you next week.